Welcome to the Stillness Matters podcast, where we talk about how to rewire your brain to stop sabotaging your life. I'm your host, Sarah. I'm a practitioner of manual osteopathy, the rapid relief technique, and all things mindful, cozy, slow living. I'm here to share with you all of the insights, resources, and tools that you need to go from burnt out and overwhelmed to living the life of peace and freedom that you deserve. So, if you are ready to take back your power from the chaos that is your mind, and learn how to control your emotions so they don't control you, then get cozy with me while we explore why stillness matters. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of the Stillness Matters podcast. And today, I wanted to talk a little bit about desire and daydreaming and how this has all changed drastically in the last three years since the advent of the pandemic. Now, the reason I wanted to bring this up was... First off, this is a conversation I have with a lot of my clients quite often and have been having over the last couple of years. And one of my coaches just wrapped up her launch of her big program that she does every year. And the idea behind, she's a manifestation coach. So the idea behind manifestation is getting in touch with your desires, your authentic desires and putting some emotion behind them. And I realized as I was listening to her videos and her podcast around this live launch that over the course of the pandemic, I've lost touch with my ability to dream, at least dream the way I did pre-pandemic. So for today, I wanted to go over uh, the neuroscience of what's happened during the pandemic and why it's so hard to pull ourselves out of it now. To start this conversation, we have to talk about routine because this is really, at least for me, this is what happened during the pandemic. So our brains are hardwired for routine. This is very well-known knowledge. There's a phrase that I've heard when it comes to neuroplasticity and neurogenesis, which is the development of new nerves, And that is the nerves that fire together, wire together. So the more you cause a specific pathway in your nervous system to light up, say it's turning on the coffee maker before you go to bed so that you have a cup of coffee ready in the morning. So the more you do that specific action in that specific order, those nerves start wiring together to form a habit. It's this automatic process that just happens because you've done it so many times. Your nervous system takes that little action and says, okay, we do this a lot. We're just going to put it on autopilot. We don't even have to think about it. It's just going to happen. And this is a very comfortable space for us. Like our, we as humans enjoy routine for the most part. There are always exceptions to the rule, but as a species, we like the comfort of routine. We like things to be easy and effortless and in flow, and it takes a lot, literally takes a lot off of our mind to not have to process all of this. If you tuned in last week, we talked about how many bites of information your brain takes in on any given moment. So this process of creating routines and patterns in your life 
really helps to take that load off of the processing system. However, when it comes to routines that we don't necessarily want or habits that we don't like, coming out of that literal hardwiring has the same physiological effect on our body as breaking an addiction. There's a withdrawal. There's resistance. There's desire to stay in the habit and stay in the routine because it's comfortable and it fills a gap in our psyche and in our, in our behavior that we don't even have to think about. And it's working for us right now, so why would we change it? So in order to break out of routine, especially like a routine that the restrictions around the pandemic instilled in us, and especially something like that, because that wasn't by choice. It's literally, you have to undo the hardwiring first. You have to unwrap those wires, untangle them, strip them out, cut them. (laughs) This is getting very graphic. And then train your brain to make new connections in new pathways and then reinforce those pathways. This is why they say building a new habit takes about 90 days or longer because you need that long of consistent reinforcement of this habit, routine, or behavior in order for it to become part of this automatic process that your brain has. For context now, we look at what the restrictions, especially around the very beginning of the pandemic, we all thought it was like, oh, it's going to be two weeks and then we'll figure this out and, you know, CDC is going to do their thing and off we go. But now three years later, we're still suffering the consequences. So for those, especially the first two, two and a half years, where we were still under relatively heavy restrictions, at least here in North America, our nervous system had so much time to ingrain these new habits and routines that are entirely based around not socializing, Staying away from people, staying away from activities, not leaving the house unless you absolutely had to, only leaving for necessities. That's a lot to go from what you knew as your life pre-pandemic. Like, tune into that for a moment. Think about what your life was like three and a half years ago, four years ago. And look at what your life was like during the pandemic, during all of the restrictions, And take a look at it now. And just notice what feels comfortable now versus what started feeling comfortable during the pandemic versus what your comfort zone was like pre-pandemic. I'm betting it's a pretty different picture. I'll use a personal example. For me, just before the pandemic, I was still training in my martial arts very heavily, working out five to six days a week. I had my practice. I had my art business, and I had just gotten back from a trip to Malta to train with my Sifu. I had my social circles. I still had the school that I trained at. You know, that was, it was good. It was good. And like, I was traveling out to the greater Toronto area multiple times a week for training and connecting with friends, socializing, traveling into the States for events, planning trips. That was my life. And then the pandemic hit and all of a sudden I had all this free time. So I started a brand new business and made a point of going on walks every day. 
found my way of staying healthy, both physically and mentally, during all of the restrictions, even though we couldn't socialize, seeing the creative opportunities that were available to me in that time. And then we went back to work. And then I started noticing all of these symptoms of anxiety and stress and burnout in almost everybody I talked to. And as a healthcare practitioner, I felt that I took the brunt of that. I think anyone working in a healthcare field, a customer service field, anywhere where we were still interacting with people during the depths of the pandemic can attest to the level of stress that we saw in people. And that just accumulated and accumulated and accumulated. And even though I have personal training in how to manage things like burnout and compassion fatigue, it still got to me. I was exhausted. I didn't want to do anything. And those habits that were now encouraged, because we were still encouraged to socially distance, we still were discouraged from traveling and going out in big groups, that kind of thing. My immediate comfort zone became my couch and my TV, my dog, staying inside. Even when the restrictions got to a point where they said, oh yeah, no, you can start socializing again, you can go out and do things again. I didn't want to yet. I didn't want to be around that many people. I didn't want to put myself out there. I didn't want to travel. I didn't want to drive for an hour on the 401 because why would I do that to myself? That's not a fun experience when I could just stay at home and play my video games or stay at home and watch my TV. You know, even when my, my current partner and I started dating, he lived an hour away from me. And I remember that being a bit of a mental struggle to convince myself to drive out there a couple times a week or every weekend to hang out with him and vice versa for him to come here. I had to laugh at myself because I had this realization that I was driving that distance and further multiple times a week within the same day before the pandemic. Didn't even think anything of it. If someone said, hey, we're having a class out in Richmond Hill. Do you want to come? Wouldn't even have thought about it. Like, yeah, I'll be there after work, eight o'clock at night. I'm going to drive an hour and a half. I'll be there. I'll be there after work. And then after the restrictions are easing off, hey, we're meeting up with a group of friends that you really enjoy spending time with. It's only about 45 minutes away. Do you want to come on a Saturday where you have nothing else going on? And I actually had to think about whether or not I wanted to leave the house that day. That's what the pandemic did to our mind. That's what those restrictions did to us as humans, because we are very social creatures and we are creatures of habit. That's what that means when, they, when you hear that phrase, we are creatures of habit. And not only did the pandemic change how our routines worked, because that's a big enough deal all on its own, it also changed how we perceive the passage of time. I use this example. So in my practice, in my physical practice, I do an interview with a client the first time I meet them. It's a health history interview. I ask them a whole bunch of questions about their physical experience in their body so that I can develop an accurate treatment plan. And one of the questions I ask them is, have you had any prior injuries or any prior surgeries? At various points during the lockdown, um, when we still had restrictions in place and I was still able to see my clients, 
I had a new person come in and try to answer this question. If they were trying to think of the date of an injury or surgery that they had had, and I could see they were mulling it over a little bit, I would make the comment of whatever date you're thinking of, add two years to it. And they would laugh and think, oh, wait, yeah, no, you're right. It wasn't three years ago. It was five years ago. Or if someone comes in and says, I've had this issue for about two and a half years. My follow-up question to them is, did that start during our lockdowns? Did it start when you went back to work? What else was happening in your life when that pain showed up? And they're like, oh, wait, no, I had this prior to the lockdown. So it was at least three years ago. This is the change of our perception of time. And I had this conversation with someone recently. It was very eye-opening because he explained to me how our brain processes the passing of time. And it has to do with our routines. So our brain categorizes the passage of time based off of events. And those events are based off of our routine. So if we're doing the same thing, relatively the same routine without much change over a series of days... When that passage of time is done, our brain categorizes that entire, say, work week as one event. And when we have four or five of those events that also follow the same pattern, it categorizes that entire month as one event. And when we've had months and months of the same pattern without too much fluctuation, our brain categorizes that entire time as one event. So maybe you had two or three significant things that really made an impression on you throughout the year. And every other moment of time was basically following your same routine. Your brain only sees that as maybe four or five events in a year. Not 12 months, not 52 weeks, not 365 individual days. It's just four or five events. So yeah, when we look back at a year and wonder where's the time gone, that's what's happening. We've had an entire year condensed into four or five events, and that's all our brain recognizes in terms of the passage of time. And for us to look back at something very specific requires work. It actually requires our brain to go back into its proverbial filing system and locate that event, which, shockingly, all of the restrictions around the pandemic have also severely affected recall, memory recall. I had this conversation with my own therapist, like, ever since, really, the lockdown started, my short-term memory is atrocious. Like, I have the memory of a goldfish right now. If you ask me what happened yesterday, I really have to think about it. And I know I'm not the only one that's suffering from that. So having this conversation with my friend who was explaining how the brain perceives time, it really made something click because where I personally found excitement, things that broke up the monotony of my day-to-day routine prior to the pandemic was travel. Obviously, we haven't been able to travel for a while. So... I challenge you right now, look back at what brings you excitement. What broke up your day-to-day routine prior to the pandemic? And have you returned to that yet? 
Have you found that moment of time or that activity that brings you excitement and joy again? Because when we don't have those moments, it's like we're just going through life on autopilot. It's like we're just robots following a program, and that program is based off of that day-to-day routine. That's all we are. And that's all our brain perceives, which means at the end of three years of restrictions and limiting ourselves, and it feels like life is just passing us by now, that's why. We've fallen prey to this monotony. We've fallen prey to this humdrum way of existence of just getting by. And the other part of this, never mind the psychological effects of the restrictions, the other part of this is also the fact that we've been through a collective trauma. This pandemic has been traumatic to varying degrees for everybody. Some people pulled through not too bad. For some people, this entire experience was devastating. And they may still have not recovered from it. They may not recover from it for years to come yet. Everyone had their own experience during this time, even though this event was happening to all of us. Which means that we've been living the last three years in fight or flight. We've been living the last three years in this heightened state of sympathetic irritation. Because our brains... Don't perceive the difference between a real threat and an imagined threat. We don't know the difference between imagining a fight with our boss and actually having the fight with our boss. And our brain doesn't perceive the difference between having a fight with our boss and being chased by a tiger. We've talked about that before. This, this is how your sympathetic nervous system works. So when you feel like you're under this constant state of threat, even if it's just in the background... Your body and your mind respond to that. And you really get stuck in this state of survival. You're literally spending every day fighting to make sure you've got your bases met. Like your absolute basic needs. And unfortunately, our government and our media have gotten really, really good at triggering this with all of those wonderful fear-mongering clickbait headlines that we've come to know and love. And I say that very facetiously. Now, what does all of this have to do with our dreams and our desires? Our dreams and desires, especially those that encourage us to be better humans and experience more things as humans, those come after those basic needs are met. And it comes when we feel like we're not fighting for our lives. So, if you've noticed that discrepancy between what your life was like before the pandemic, and even though the restrictions are easing off and we can travel freely and we can go to concerts again and go to the gym, can do all the things again, it feels like life hasn't quite caught up. That's why. That's why. It's because our bodies are still fighting for our lives. Even though most of the threat has passed, we're still there. Like our body, our mind doesn't know the difference. Now, what are our basic needs? If you've ever heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, this gives us a pretty good idea. So our basic, absolute low-level basic needs start with our biological needs. 
we need clean air, we need nutritious food, we need water, shelter, warmth, sleep, biological needs. We also need safety. We need protection from our environment, like what you would find in a house. We need security, personal security, societal security, order, stability. Stability is a big one. And that's not something we've had a lot of in the last three years. Especially if you live in North America. I can't speak for many other countries because I know those experiences have also been very different. Highly fluctuating levels of stability in various governments. Look at anything happening in Ukraine right now. Look at what's been happening in China or Russia. Look at what's been happening in Taiwan. Global On the global scale, there is still a lack of stability three years later. Another safety need is the freedom from fear. And that's something that our media, news, social media, radio, doesn't matter. That's something they have actively been inhibiting. I am challenge you right now, ask yourself, when was the last time you felt free from fear? That you woke up in the morning without something hanging over your head or turning on the news and thinking, oh my god, the world's falling apart. The country's falling apart. It just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. The next level of needs are our human need of belonging, connection with other humans. This is another thing that's inherently hardwired into our experience of being a human. We need friendship, intimacy, trust. We need to feel loved. We need to feel accepted. And this this isn't just a this isn't a one-off. This isn't like, oh, if you're this personality type or if you have this kind of attachment, you need to feel accepted. You need to feel trust and intimate with somebody. No, no. This is just part of being a human. You know, when you think of maybe the first humans, very early civilization, connection and society, being in a group of people was a survival need. If you were out on your own in the wilderness, your chances of survival dropped drastically compared to if you were in the village surrounded by the village warriors and the safety of numbers. It is a basic human need to give and receive love. To feel like we are part of a group, and not just part of it, but a valued member, fully accepted and included. These And those are just the first three levels. Those are the absolute basics. Now, since coming out with the initial structure, Manslow's theory has evolved. At first, he said it in a way that implied you had to absolutely meet that first tier of need in order to move on to satiating the second tier of need, and so on. Since then, he's amended to say that there's a certain flow to it, but those basic needs need to more or less be under control. They need to be at least stable before you can move on to the next level of need. Now, again, what does this have to do with dreaming and our desires? So when it comes to dreams for a better future, dreams for self-improvement, 
for experiencing more beyond just having your basic needs met. That only happens after the basic needs are more or less met. And I don't know about you, but I can say for myself, in the last three years, it's been a struggle to feel stable with having those needs met. Inflation is rising. Grocery store bills are through the roof. Rent is, I don't even want to talk about it. You know, and those are, I mean, those, that's first tier level needs. That's shelter. That's food. That's water. That's warmth. That's physical safety. That's tier two. You know, when we're in the situation, people often don't realize the actual extent of what's happening to them and the implication it has in their lives. So when you are, like me, living in this world, feeling like you're constantly needing to defend yourself, that you constantly need to prepare for the worst because of fear and uncertainty, it really doesn't leave a lot of room for dreaming of seeing the mountains of Cappadocia. It doesn't leave a lot of room for dreaming of how could I serve my community better? Or how can I become the best version of myself? Like, who cares if I'm being the best version of myself when I don't even know if I'm going to have food on the table this week? Does that make sense? So this is my next question to you. Look at what you've been dreaming about for the last three years. Are they dreams of being a better person? Are they dreams of growth, exploration, excitement, things that bring you joy? Or are you just dreaming of having your needs met, now knowing what your basic human needs are? Are you just dreaming of feeling accepted by somebody? Are you just dreaming of having food on the table? Are you dreaming of being able to live through your week without worrying how much money you're making at the end of it? Really think about that. Because that was eye-opening to me when I realized my dreams have been purely about survival. The idea of becoming a better person, I've been struggling with it. And I would say that I'm a self-prescribed personal development junkie. And that just hasn't happened. Because so much of my time has been spent in fear. And what I realized during this last week of watching my coach launch her program was that I needed to learn how to shift into creative dreaming again. How to give myself permission to get excited. To give myself permission to make plans. And to do things that bring me joy. And then to follow through. To overcome that neurological hardwiring that has become so ingrained in the last three years of the pandemic. This next part is assuming that your basic needs are in fact met, that you're living in a relatively stable situation, and that you are at a point of wanting to dream again and follow through on your dreams. So to start this creative process of dreaming again and following your desires, you have to start taking steps to break that pattern. And it starts with awareness. I know we've talked about this before. So awareness of where your pattern currently is. Take stock of what your day-to-day kind of looks like. Go to work, 
make lunch for the kids, pick up the kids, come home, get the kids ready for bed, make dinner, sit on the couch for an hour, go to bed, rinse, repeat. Take note of that routine. And there's a number of different questions you can ask yourself to start thinking about where you want to make those changes, where you are even able to make those changes. Because it's in the awareness, once you recognize the pattern that's happening, that's where you have the opportunity to make a change and interrupt that hardwiring. You can interrupt the signal and start breaking it down piece by piece. Close your eyes for a moment if it's safe to do so. And I want you to just tune into your body and see how these questions feel. Pay attention to what lights up in your mind and your body and go with your first gut instinct, the first thing that pops into your head. So if you think of your day-to-day routine and you're bored in it, ask yourself, what would I enjoy doing right now? What would I find fulfillment in doing right now anything don't let money be a hindrance or time or location if you could do anything you want anything that would bring you joy anything at all what would it be another question that you can ask yourself is keep your eyes closed what would feel good to have complete it. It may not feel great to do at the time. You might not feel better while you're doing it, but you know you're going to feel better once it's done. For me, an easy one would be closing my kitchen, doing the dishes, wiping down the surfaces, cleaning the stove. I don't enjoy that task by any means, but I know tomorrow morning when I wake up, I'm going to be grateful that I did that because I'm going to walk out and I'm going to see a clean kitchen and it's organized and it's a space of peace and openness and my mind can relax instead of walking out and seeing piles of dirty dishes and crumbs on the counter and that syrup that I forgot to clean up is now sticky and you know melded into my table and thinking oh my god there's such a mess and I'm so overwhelmed already I don't even want to deal with it It's a huge mindset shift. So those are the two questions. What would I enjoy doing right now? And what would feel good to have completed? Check in with yourself. The first thing that comes to mind, and you can use the trick we mentioned last time of the five, five, four, three, two, one. So when you have that task in mind and you have the means to do it, because I know we're dreaming a little unrealistically with some of these questions, but if you have the means of doing something different, Start counting. Five, four, three, two. And by the time you say one, get up and start working on it. Because that's about the window you have to make that change before the autopilot programming kicks in again. And the other thing you want to do is practice that unrealistic dreaming. Practice the idea of just being in a fun headspace again. Because that's something, especially when we're battered by fear all the time, it's really good to give your mind a break. Even if these dreams may never come to fruition, even if they are wishful thinking, give yourself permission to have that space. And if you are in the manifestation world, this is a really, really good exercise for you. 
close your eyes again and ask yourself if money wasn't a factor, if time and location was not a factor, what would I be doing right now? And give yourself permission to dream big, dream unrealistically and authentically. What do you really want in your bones, in your soul? What calls to you? First thing that comes to mind. Because once you start thinking about it, it's a different story. You want what's true to you. And that is the first instinct. It could be a feeling. It could be a picture. It could be an idea. It could be a sound. Anything. But if money and time and location were not factors, what would you be doing right now? Another way to play this is the what-if game. And I'm not talking about the catastrophizing, ruminating what-if game, because if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably very similar to me, and I know you've done this. I'm talking about the what-if-my-dreams-actually-came-true game. What if all of my basic needs were met? What if I found that dream relationship? What if I made a million dollars in my business this year? What if I could travel the world? What if I could just go to Paris for a long weekend just because I wanted to? What if I could buy that new puppy? What if I could take my kids on that dream vacation? What if I could buy my kids that new toy that they really wanted just because, yeah, they want it and I want to give it to them? What if I could take a nap in the middle of the day and not feel guilty about it? That's the kind of what-if game I'm talking about. Wouldn't it be fun if I surprised my parents with a trip this year? Wouldn't it be fun if I could take every Friday off? Wouldn't it be fun if I had some extra help at home? Wouldn't it be fun if I didn't have to do the dishes, but the dishes still got done? So what kind of, what kind of things would you want? What if this happened in your life? What would your life look like if you were having fun with it all the time? This is a really good exercise. I do this often. I sometimes have to remind myself to do it, but I do try to do it every day. It's a very powerful mindset practice. And like I said before, your brain doesn't notice the difference between real and perceived all the time. So if you can imagine all these good things fun, exciting things happening to you, you can start wiring your brain to be more open to those experiences. It doesn't have to be fear and doom and gloom all the time. You can have some fun. You can have some excitement and your brain will start recognizing things as being fun and exciting. So when you have that moment of awareness that you're on autopilot and you've made the choice that day to do something different, challenge yourself. Do something that pushes you outside of that comfort zone, outside, completely outside of the routine. Go explore somewhere you've never been. Plan a trip. Go out to a coffee shop. Say hi to somebody. Offer somebody help. Maybe try a new hobby, start a project, or in my case, complete a project. (laughs) It could be as simple as Turning left instead of right on your daily walk. You know, just something new, something that expands your daily experience. 
and that is often outside of what our brain is going to recognize as our comfort zone. Even something simple, like turning left instead of right, our brain says, but we don't know what's going to happen if we turn left. Something really bad could happen if we, could, if we turn left. We know what happens when we turn right. We know that's safe. We're like, go, go right. But by following through and going left and opening yourself to a new experience, you then start to show your subconscious mind, the one that's actually running the show, that sometimes a new experience is good. Sometimes a new experience is fun. Sometimes it's not. <laughs> but at the end of the day, we're still okay. And the more we can give our brain, our subconscious, these positive experiences with the new, with the things that expand us, with the things that challenge us, the more and more we will be open to it and the more fulfillment we'll find the more excitement we'll have in our lives and the less our brain is going to chunk our time together into just four or five events in a year. So my challenge to you at the end of this episode is give yourself something to get excited about. Give yourself something to look forward to. Break up those chunks of routine so that you can look back on 2023 and think that was a great year. I had so much fun this year. I did so many things I wanted to do. I actually enjoyed this year. Instead of coming to December and looking back and thinking, where the heck has the time gone? Take an active part in your life again. And that is my challenge to myself as well. So if anything of today's episode resonated with you, please reach out. You know I love connecting with my followers in any way you want to. Instagram is a great way to reach out. Wisdom is a great way to reach out. And I love your questions. So if you have any further questions about what we talked about today, please send me a message. You can find me at Stillness Matters Everywhere as always. And I will see you on our next episode. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Stillness Matters podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to share it on socials and tag me at Stillness Matters on all platforms and leave us a review on iTunes. Reviews really help the show out and getting noticed by all of the algorithms. This baby podcast appreciates all the help it can get in getting noticed right now. If you have any questions or comments about today's episode, you can reach out to me on Instagram at stillnessmatters. And if not, I will see you next week.